So Pastor Phil tells a story of a pastor friend who went out of town to preach. He gets into the town where he is preaching on that evening, goes to the hotel, standing in line to check in. Young lady walks up behind him, says, are you checking in? He looks at her and he says, yes, I am. And she says, oh, I'm checking in too. Uh, our plane was, our flight was canceled and the airline put us up in this hotel for the evening. Why are you here? She says, well, I have to preach in the morning over at the, the chapel. And she says, oh, well, would you like to get your groove on tonight before you have to do your thing in the morning? He looks at her and says, young lady, that will not be necessary. She looks at him with a smile and says, oh, I was just kidding. I wasn't serious. Beloved, when people hear that, some of you hear that, and thinking that at that time it might have been a good idea to talk to that lady about the gospel. Might have been a good idea to put on your evangelistic hat and tell her, why don't we have a drink and go over the four spiritual laws? <laughs> or better yet, why don't you come up to my room and we can go over the Roman road? But beloved, there are times, and that was one, that the best thing and the most prudent thing to do is to flee, to stop all conversations, and the most prudent and best thing to do is to run. This is what we see in our text this morning, is it not? This is what we see with Joseph. All of the conversations need to stop. And the best thing to do in the midst of that battle is to flee. The Bible tells us again and again shows us that we are to make sure that we are not ignorant of the wiles and the schemes and the plots and the plans of the devil. See that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And in fact, beloved, I believe that it is the call of the preacher to prepare you for the battle that is waging over your mind and your heart. That's it. There's a reason why we get up here morning after morning, Sunday after Sunday, because, beloved, there are wars waging, and they are raging all around us. We know there are wars raging in Afghanistan and, and Syria and, and Darfur and, and Somalia and various parts of the world. 
But I hope that you would be aware, beloved, that the greatest war that is raging this morning is raging right here in this place. It's a battle for your heart and for your mind. It is a battle for the word of God that is preached. For every time the word of God is preached, there is a battle. Every time the word of God is read, there is a battle. Every time the Christian seeks to live and faithfully proclaim Christ, there is a battle. There's a war that will rage. And therefore, it is incumbent upon the preacher to understand that if the trumpet sounds an unclear sound, who will prepare themselves for that battle? So let me be clear this morning. Satan is real. And not only is he real, but he has forces. And he wars against God. And he wars against God's agenda. And he wars against God's people. He has strategies, beloved. And his strategies are consistent. And the reason they are consistent is because they are effective. He hasn't changed his strategies. The very strategies he's used in the beginning, he has used throughout time, and he's still using them today. And the reason they are consistent is because they are effective. And if you are not duly armed, and if you are not prepared, you will fall victim. Did you hear what I said? If you are not duly armed, and if you are not rightly prepared, you will fall victim. Satan is powerful, beloved. So are his tactics. And so are his temptations. When Jesus was tempted, beloved, Matthew chapter 4, when Satan comes to tempt Jesus, and you and I read that, I want you to not think that this is lightweight warfare. Just because Jesus is able and he's so adept at handling the enemy, don't think that the battle was a lightweight thing. When Paul was tempted, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, don't think for a moment, beloved, that these were just passing fantasies and fancies. These were real, ongoing 
intense temptation. And when Joseph, beloved, here is tempted, don't think for a moment that it was an easy battle because it was not. This is the reason why the Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 4 that Jesus understands your temptation. And the reason he understands your temptation, beloved, is because he was tempted and his temptation was as, as intense or not even more intense than yours. And he understands that. Because Satan is powerful. And his temptations are powerful too. You know what makes him so powerful, beloved? There's a couple of things. One of the things that makes his temptation so powerful is the source of his temptation. The source of it. Temptations come from an attractive place. Did you hear that? Temptations come from an attractive place. Temptations come with much decorations that are appealing to the senses. Temptation was ugly, beloved. You wouldn't want it. But you notice where Joseph's, Joseph's temptation came from? It came from Potiphar's wife. It came from a seductress. And she knew, beloved, she knew how to woo a young man. What it says in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. Her smooth talk. Temptation is great because of the source that it comes from. As Sade said comes from a smooth operator. <laughs> smooth operator. Temptation is great not only because of the source that it comes from, beloved, but temptations are great because of the promise that they make. The promise of temptation. For temptation makes promises. Real, enticing promises. Promise Immediate pleasure and immediate success and immediate prosperity. Someone has said that sin isn't fun. But I don't know what sin they've been watching. And I don't know what sin they've been tempted with. But if sin wasn't fun, beloved, people wouldn't do it. If it wasn't pleasing, people wouldn't fall for it. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that there is a pleasure in sin for a season. There's a pleasure in sin, beloved. 
But the pleasure this morning, I hope you understand, is the pleasure of poison ivy. You ever had poison ivy? I have. You know the most pleasurable thing about poison ivy? is scratching it. Scratching it to get the relief. But every time you scratch it, you know you're going to pay for that. That is the pleasure of sin, beloved. Every time you scratch it, you know you're going to pay for it. You can't help yourself. But what you don't realize is that the game that Satan plays, he plays a game of pay for play. He lets you play. He invites you to play. But what he doesn't tell you is how much it's going to cost. He lets you buy in and then he makes you pay. Someone has rightly said, when you play with Satan, sooner or later he's going to give you a bill. It's great because of the source. Temptation is great because of this promises, but temptation is also great, beloved, because of the frequency of it. I mean, if it only came at me once, I can handle that. But you do understand, again, Satan's tactics are effective, beloved, and he knows that if he just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming, Sooner or later, he'll weigh you down. This is what he does. When he tempts, beloved, it's not just once. But he keeps coming, keeps coming. And when he comes, he often ramps up the intensity. Notice what the Bible says here about Joseph in, in verse 10 of chapter 39. It says, and she spoke to Joseph day after day, after day, after day. She refused him the first time. He refused her the first time. And he, he told her why he couldn't do it. But would that be enough for her? No, beloved. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming because the strategy of the enemy is sooner or later to catch you at a weak moment when your defenses are down and to make his play. And he keeps coming and he keeps coming. The Bible says here that Joseph tried to avoid it. He tried to avoid her. She made efforts to, to be with him. He made efforts to stay out of her way. He made every effort he possibly could to limit any interaction with her. He saw her coming, he went the other way. Only that what was needful for him to serve his master. And then one day, the Bible says, doesn't it? That one day, Joseph is a servant. And he's got to go in the house to do his work. 
You know what she did, beloved? No doubt in my mind. She made sure that there were no other servants around when he came that day. And she launched her attack upon him. Beloved, I hope you understand that as much as you and I try, sometimes temptation is just unavoidable. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, in verse 1, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Woe unto the one to who those temptations do come. They are sure to come. It was Martin Luther who said that you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from making a nest in your head. And here she is, beloved. Here is Oliver's wife. She's circling all around Joseph. She is circling all around him and she wants to land for the kill. And this is no longer just words, beloved, as she swoops down. It goes from words to a touch. The Bible says here that she pulls him close to her. And said, lie with me. Before she was just using enticing words. Now she grabs him. She touches him. You need to understand at that moment the intensity now of the temptation. It has moved to another level, beloved. For now, it is not only that the enemy has engaged the ears. Not only has the enemy engaged the eyes, but now the enemy is engaging the touch. The intensity of that moment, beloved, was great. There's no doubt in my mind. And that is how Satan wants it to be. For he wants the moment to be emotionally charged. He wants the moment to seem impulsive. He wants the moment to seem passionate. He wants the moment to seem undeniable. That's why, beloved, no more conversations. Joseph knows. We can't talk about this anymore. It's time to go. It's time to flee. And if you know what the enemy wants to do, the whole time, he wants to convince you. Because that's his strategy. Everything that the enemy has been doing up to this point 
in his attack upon Joseph is to convince Joseph that his way is right. Because that's the strategy. That is what I want you to know this morning. That the enemy has a strategy. And his strategy is to try to convince you that what he's saying and what he's offering and what he's doing is right. And so he tries to woo you and promise that his way is right. This is what he did with Eve in the garden. What did he do with Eve in the garden? Sought to convince Eve that what he was offering was better than what God was offering. That's what he did with Moses in Egypt. Tried to convince Moses that the glory and the riches and the power and the pleasure of Egypt was much more glorious than the glory and the pleasures and the power this is what he did with Jesus on the mountain in Matthew chapter 4. When he showed Jesus all the kingdoms in the world and told Jesus, you could have it all if you would just bow down and worship me. Trying to convince our Lord that the way to glory and the way to exaltation that Satan was offering is to be preferred than the, over the Father's way to glory and exaltation what he does. He tries to convince. He tries to convince. Satan wants to convince you that the quick and easy road to pleasure and possessions is to be preferred to the way of God. So he says to you over and over again, you deserve this. Yep, you deserve this pleasure. You have the right to these possessions. battle, beloved. Is there a way? Ways for your mind. Ways over your heart. And he promises great things, great pleasures, great possessions. What he doesn't do again is he doesn't reveal to you the price until you've already bought it. Potiphar's wife tried over and over again to convince Joseph. Over and over again to convince Joseph that he could have her and there would be no repercussions. It would be all pleasure. It would be all glory. It would be all yours. And when Joseph refused her Forcefully and finally. Beloved, you know what happened then? The second part of Satan's strategy kicks in. For what Satan cannot convince, Satan seeks to kill. If he can't convince you, then he will seek to kill you. 
don't be confused and don't be ignorant of his devices tonight. In the Pilgrim's Progress, as we've read it, and I pray you have, you might recall when Christian meets up with Apollyon, the Satan figure in the book. And Apollyon is standing before Christian, standing in Christian's way. And the first strategy that Apollyon uses is what? He tries to convince Christian to go back, to come back with him. He tells Christian, I know that it hasn't been all that you want it to be, but if you return with me, I will make sure now that the wages you receive will be better than anything you ever had before. Come back with me now, Christian. What does Christian do? Christian forcefully and finally refuses Apollyon. And when he finally refuses Apollyon, what does Apollyon do then? He stops trying to convince Christian. And then he says, beloved, if you will not return with me, then you prepare to die. For today I will spill your soul. That's what Satan does. That which he can't convince, he seeks to kill. He tries to kill Joseph. Hope you see that. He tries to kill Joseph. For if Potiphar's wife couldn't have Joseph, she determined that nobody could, including Potiphar. This is Satan's scheme, beloved. First thing she does is she tries to kill his testimony. Notice that? She called all the other servants, and after Joseph had ran away and, and fled for his soul and his life, she called all the other servants in, and she said to the other servants, Look at this. Hebrew, notice what he has done. Do you see that? She calls him this Hebrew, making sure that the testimony of Joseph is here called in the question. They all knew Joseph was different. He wasn't Egyptian. He didn't serve their God. He didn't live like they lived. He didn't speak the way they spoke. He didn't do the things they did. And it was all because of the God that he served. He was faithful to his God. That made him a faithful servant. That won him the adoration of the others. And what does she do? She calls them in. And she says, do you see now? He's not all that. He's a hypocrite. He's a phony. He's not worthy of your respect. He's not worthy of your adoration. She slanders him, beloved. 
And this is how you know that this is the work of Satan because the Bible tells us that Satan is a slanderer. That's what he does. Character assassination. He will seek to undermine your integrity. He will seek to undermine your testimony because his ultimate goal is not just to take your testimony. His ultimate goal is to take your life. And once she thought she had undermined his testimony, all that was left now was to wait for Potiphar because then she could get his life. He told the servants all the servants could do was look at Joseph with shame. But when she told Potiphar, she knew that Potiphar could take his life. And so she does, beloved. She knew that Potiphar would be offended. And she knew that he would have to avenge her. And she knew that the penalty would be death. This is Satan's ultimate design and temptation. Yes, he is a thief, according to John chapter 10 and verse 11. He is an accuser and a slanderer, according to Revelation 12 and verse 10. But ultimately, beloved, the enemy is a murderer. John chapter 8 and verse 44. He has been a murderer from the beginning. And when Potiphar gets home, beloved, and he hears the words of his wife, the Bible says Potiphar was angry. Now it doesn't tell us exactly what he's angry about or how or who he's angry with. But my guess is that Potiphar is just angry with everybody. The whole situation stinks. Angry with everyone, though he had no reason to be angry with Joseph. And an interesting thing happens, beloved. I have no doubt in my mind that Potiphar would hope, I mean, Potiphar's wife would have hoped that Joseph would be killed. But Potiphar sends him to prison. You know why, beloved? You know why? The same reason why Apollyon couldn't kill Christians. The same reason why Apollyon couldn't kill Christian, Potiphar's wife was not going to kill Joseph because God would not have it so. Because God would not have it so. Because, beloved, I don't care how bad it gets. Your life is in God's hands. I don't care how many plots and schemes against you. Your life is hidden with Christ. And if your life is hidden with Christ, 
Christ will not be conquered. Oh, beloved, this is glorious truth. Of it all. This is the mystery of the Christian life. The mystery is this, beloved. That Satan has enough chains and enough freedom to make life difficult. And I mean he can make it very difficult. He doesn't have enough freedom and he doesn't have enough chain to destroy us. He has enough power to fight a fierce fight, but he doesn't have enough power to win. Did you hear what I said? He's got enough power to fight a fierce fight, and he does. But always remember that he doesn't have enough power to win. Christ will conquer. God's plans will not be thwarted, beloved. They will not be thwarted by Satan. No matter how many schemes and plans Potiphar's wife puts together, God's plan for Joseph will not be undermined. God's plan for you will not be thwarted, beloved, not by the sin of others against you, not even by your own. You understand, beloved, that sometimes because of the sin of others against us and even our own sin, beloved, we suffer loss. And we find ourselves like Joseph, wrongly accused. Sometimes we even find ourselves rightly accused. And like Joseph, we go down. You know that? I mean, beloved, you got to understand that Joseph is just the manager of luxury. Joseph was just the steward of riches. Joseph reigned over one of the most powerful homes in all of Egypt. And everything that that home afforded anyone, it was Joseph. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Joseph is cast down in the But here is the bane of Satan. The bane of Satan is that the Christian falls, but he gets up. He can't understand it. He can't figure it. If the Christian falls, but he gets up, this, in fact, is the joy of the Christian life. If you would embrace it, beloved, when you fall, you fall into the hands of a provident God. When you fall, you fall into the hands of a loving God. 
Beloved, no one wants to go to prison. Okay, don't get it twisted. Joseph is not singing praises as they are marching him down into the prison. But you know what else he's not doing? He's not complaining. He's not disgusted. He's not moaning. He's not arguing. For he knows if God was faithful in Potiphar's house, God can be faithful in prison. He knows my life is not in Potiphar's hands. Thank God my life is not even in Potiphar's wife's hands. My life is not in Satan's hands. But my life is in the hands of God. And sometimes, beloved, it is the sovereignty of God for you and I to drink a bitter cup. Oh, and the cup can be bitter. It can be the bitter pain of loss, sickness, disease, financial constraints, ruin, the bitter cup of death. This was a bitter cup that the Lord gave Joseph to drink. And beloved, it was no more bitter and the one he gave to his own son. For the Bible says that when Christ knew that he was to be crucified, peered into the cup of God's wrath, and there he saw your sin, and there he saw my sin, and there he saw all that it would take to redeem us from our sins, that he would take upon him the penalty of God's wrath that was due for us and the awesomeness of it all. And he looked to his father and he said, Father, please, if it be your will, allow this cup to pass from me. Nobody. But Jesus, like Joseph before him, said, but nonetheless, let your will and not mine be done. And do you know, beloved, when they crucify Jesus, last thing Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Not into Satan's, not into anyone in this world, but into yours. That's Joseph, beloved. I can imagine that the moment he stepped into that prison cell, he could, you could hear him say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Do you know what happens when you commit your spirit, your life, and your soul into the Father's hands? You fall down, and you get up. You fall down, and you get up. 
Beloved, Joseph fell down. But you know what's going to happen? He's going to get up. Jesus went down. But you know what the Bible says? He got up. You and I, beloved, in the hands of a sovereign God, when we fall down, He gets up. Oh, I pray that the trumpet has been cleared this morning, and yet you and I are preparing ourselves for battle. Know this. If you ever find yourself falling down, trust in the Lord. You're going to get up. In Jesus' name, amen.